session with Dr. Farid Holaku. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 310-441-0555. Before I begin, a few announcements. Um, again, I wanted to announce that I'll be doing my first cruise along with commercial travel. It's this March 9th through the 12th going to Ensenada, Mexico. I will be doing several seminars and uh, question and answer sessions, and also there'll be other professionals sharing their expertise, along with uh, one group of individuals or different professionals who will hold a session on helping to build your business, networking, and things of that sort. So hope to see you there again March 9th through the 12th. Should be a lot of fun. We'll also have DJ Alex on board and uh, should be a great time. I hope you'll join us there. The number for commercial travel to get more information or to sign up is 800-800-1991 or 818-883-8100. I've also uh, posted a, f- a program for the flyer for the event on my social media, so if you want more information, you can check that out too. But hope to see you this March 9th through the 12th. Um, I also wanted to announce that uh, I've mentioned before an orphanage I've visited in Mexico a few times, and a group of uh, youngsters that I work with have decided to help raise funds, and we asked the orphanage what they needed, and someone who works there let us know they were trying to build a music and art center for the kids there. And it's really a great project. Um, as you can imagine, those kids have been through so much uh, as orphans and whatever their, their various stories are that have gotten them to the orphanage. Um, we can imagine they've suffered a lot of emotional pain and traumas. And the arts can be a great way for any of us, but especially children, to connect to their pain and express their pain and even in ways heal some of their pain from the past or even express to us what they've gone through because sometimes we don't know their stories. So I think this is a great project, and I hope you'll join us in raising funds. I've actually posted the link on my um Facebook page and Twitter and also on Instagram. You can't post it on a post, but it's now in my bio. So any donation you can make would be greatly appreciated. We have a goal of $10,000, which is what they say will will be needed to kind of build this music and arts center at this orphanage there. So I hope you'll join us in that. Uh, Lastly, I want to again announce the book that I mentioned on Monday that I'll talk about next week. The book of the week for this week is Show Me All Your Scars, True Stories of Living with Mental Illness. And there isn't one author because it's 20 different stories or 20 different um, submissions in a way of different individuals, writers who are dealing with mental illness in some way. And so far from what I've read, it's really powerful and it's a great um, book to help 
further reduce the stigma that's attached to mental illness and help us understand what people go through who have mental illness and also, of course, recognize most of us or all of us are dealing with mental illness in some way, directly in some way, and also through people that we know are related to or uh, connected to in some way. So I hope you'll join me in reading that. I'll talk about it next week. It's Show Me All Your Scars, True Stories of Living with Mental Illness. Um, I wanted to start off the show talking about relationships, a topic I talk about a lot, but one specific or humorous aspect of relationships, pun intended, and that is actually the use of humor in a relationship. Now, humor can be a great antidote to a lot of things like pain, suffering, difficulties, and in a relationship, it's very important for the couple to be able to enjoy themselves together and even laugh together and hopefully make each other laugh as well. Uh, John Gottman, when um, he was uh, doing research on relationships and marriages that work and don't work, he found something interesting that in couples who handle fights well, something that he noticed is that they would sometimes do what he would call repair attempts, meaning that in the middle of the argument when things were not going very well and things would get tense, usually one of them or both of them in some way would break the tension. So they would some way say something or do something that would ease what was going on. So one example was that in one fight, the husband and wife were fighting and the husband stuck out his tongue the way that their, I think was like three or four year old son or daughter would do it. And it made the wife laugh. And it totally eased the tension in the argument and brought them back to a connected and good place. So he calls these repair attempts. These are uh, things that we can do or that we do in the middle of a fight uh, or argument that help to try to bring us back together. It doesn't always have to be a joke. Sometimes it's someone saying, hey, you know what? I'm sorry I'm being so difficult or I'm being harsh or I'm sorry for what I said. Something to to de-escalate the situation. And oftentimes humor is a great way to do that. So he found that a lot of these couples, even in the midst of a fight, they were able to somehow draw some humor into the argument or discussion, and that would really ease things and cause a moment of connection and de-escalation that actually allowed for the argument and discussion and then proceed a lot better and more productively than it had before that moment. So we see that humor is good all the time. We could be joking together and having a good time. But even in the midst of a fight, we can utilize humor in a good way. And we want to be with someone that we laugh with and we we enjoy each other's company, that you're having fun. And even sharing a sense of humor can be a very helpful thing and connecting in that way. Laughing together, joking together, even playfully teasing each other and yourself in front of one another. That can be really, really, really important. Um, So I wanted to talk about that positive side of it. And I did also want to mention that it's more complex than that, that it's not just about, okay, if you're you know, laughing and joking is always good because there's a dark side to humor too. And I don't just mean dark humor, but I mean that the way we use humor can have a dark side also. So to begin with, um, if you make a joke, it's only a joke if you both enjoy it. And I don't mean actually just about you find it funny because sometimes you might make a joke and your partner, whoever else might not think it's funny, but I mean that the other person is not offended by it or hurt by it. So for example, sometimes, you know, couples, they'll come up with nicknames for each other. And if you come up with a nickname and your partner doesn't like it, either it's something that they're sensitive about, or um, they feel 
they don't feel good about that name, you can't say, well, it's my cute way of talking to you, so I'm going to say that name. It has to be something that feels good to the person too. So you have to respect what they're saying. And similarly with a joke, if you make a joke with your partner and they're, they find it not funny and are hurt by it, rather than saying, well, it's just a joke, you have to be able to take it, you have to respect that. A joke has to go both ways. It has to be a playful thing. If not, it's just a way of insulting them or putting them down, but using the joke or the humor as a veil to cover what's going on. So if you make a joke and your partner doesn't like it, listen to that, hear them out. Maybe they are sensitive to that. You could even be right. They're being too sensitive, let's say, to that. But that could be something that they're sensitive to, and you have to respect that. You want to give them that feeling that, okay, if that's something you don't feel comfortable about me joking about, I won't joke about that anymore. But sometimes couples, or I hear people say, well, I'm joking, so he or she should be able to take it, or they should know it's just a joke. They're letting you know that for them, that's not something they can joke about. And most of us have some sensitive issues, some insecurities or past pains that are not uh, things that we want to joke about, or maybe at least at that time, not joke about. There could be a later time where we feel okay about that. And so related to this theme is how humor can be used in an aggressive way, sometimes a passive-aggressive way, uh, sometimes it even can be just downright aggressive. Um, but very often we see that happen in relationships, not just romantic, but uh, other family relationships and friend relationships as well. Because humor can serve, or jokes and humor can serve as a very good way to veil our anger. So if it's unacceptable for me, either myself or I think you won't accept it, to tell you something directly that I don't like about you or to express that I'm upset with you, jokes and sarcasm can be a wonderful way to get that out. So if we find ourselves making lots of jokes about someone, especially about certain things, and especially sarcastic jokes, sarcasm has anger laced in it. There's a lot of anger in sarcasm. We might think, again, it's just a joke, but it's a way of expressing something to one another. So we often find couples and or even parents and their children or children with their parents where they don't feel comfortable saying a lot of things, but through humor, they get a lot out. That old adage of there's a truth in every joke, there, there really is. Now, I'm not saying every time you make a joke, it has to mean something super deep and you have to analyze it and figure out that you're being hurtful in some way. No, there are jokes that can be more uh, neutral or you know innocuous in that way. But if you find yourself making lots of jokes, and especially, again, if you're making jokes that your partner doesn't like or are hurting them, think about what you're doing. It's very possible that you're making those jokes because you're trying to express some kind of anger or aggression, resentment towards your partner or that person in a way that becomes okay. Because a joke can be socially acceptable. I'm not insulting you. I'm making a fun joke. We're being playful. Isn't it good to laugh about things? And, you know, someone could even hear what I said earlier in this segment and say, see, it's good to laugh together. So I'm just trying to have us laugh together. But I'm saying if you're the joke teller, make sure the person hearing the joke feels good about it too. If they don't, you want to stop that. And if you're finding yourself unable to or feel that impulse to keep saying those same kind of jokes, ask yourself, well, what's going on? What am I feeling what am I trying to express through my humor? And even I do ask yourself that question. Okay, if there is truth to my joke, what might that be? If I'm teasing my partner about this or that, what might that be about? Even a lot of times you'll see people bring up serious issues, but they'll bring it up with a joke because it feels more comfortable. 
this could be things like jealousy. If they're experiencing some jealousy, they might say in a joking way, oh, yeah, you were there with your new boyfriend, blah, 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 something like that, to say it's a joke, but really they don't feel okay. Or if they feel like uh, their partner is not spending enough time with them, they go, oh, yeah, you know, go over there again. I know we'll, we won't see each other again until 2019 or whatever, some kind of way of saying it in a playful way, but really they're expressing something serious. So pay attention to the jokes you're making and what they might reflect. And also pay attention to what you might be trying to convey to that person and recognize that you might be using humor as an indirect way to communicate things that you're feeling. And although we all do this to a degree, we want to limit that because we know that direct communication is almost always going to be the best way to deal with an issue. So if you keep bringing up your jealousy as jokes or if you keep bringing up your resentment in other way in jokes, realize that, you know what, you might be a lot better off having a real direct conversation with your partner that, you know what, I'm, I think I'm not feeling good about this, or I felt this way about that. That could be a lot harder for many of us, and that's why we, again, like the jokes for another reason. It doesn't involve us being as vulnerable or acknowledging what we're feeling. But again, that's what makes it so important, is that we want to go towards that vulnerability and that more direct communication. And very likely, that way you'll get a better result. Because if you bring it up as a joke, your partner might also take it as a joke oh, you don't really think that or you don't really feel that, and they just move on. Whereas really what you're trying to say is, no, I'm really not feeling good about this or I'm having this kind of an emotion about this experience or something that's going on. And it could be important to, to communicate about that. But if you bring it up directly, well, then you're going to get a response and you can communicate it with your partner about that. So humor is a wonderful thing. I, I find myself someone who likes to make jokes and, and enjoys laughing with people and, and all of that. But we want to think about what else is going on behind the joke? And we want to make sure if we're making a joke with someone we care about, that it feels like a joke and fun for them. If it doesn't, we really want to respect that and show them that we don't want to hurt them and blame it on humor or blame it on jokes. And if we're doing that, maybe we want to hurt them, but are trying to do it in that indirect way. So as always, we want to take a deeper look at everything that we do, all our behaviors and actions, because there's almost always more underneath the surface than what we see uh, on the surface. All right, let's... Go to a commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Again, our studio number 3104410555. Uh, at the top of the show, I mentioned about um, a fundraising that a group I'm working with is doing to build a music and arts center for an orphanage in Mexico. And already, since I posted it maybe less than an hour ago, I've seen some donations coming in. So thank you to all of you that have donated. And for those of you who are interested, please go to my Instagram, uh, Twitter, or Facebook page, and you can get more information on that, and you can donate. And any donations would be greatly appreciated. Again, our goal is $10,000. Um, I talked a bit about relationships in the last segment, and I mentioned John Gottman. And I wanted to talk a bit about some of his principles that he has found that make marriage work, as he calls them, because they really are important for us to look at as the research he's done has spanned gender, uh, I don't want to say generations, but decades. Um, so really, in a way, generations. And he's found some really important things that we want to look at or look for in our relation to see if we don't have or we do have. 
One I wanted to focus on right now is what he calls accepting influence. And what that means is allowing our partner to affect us, not to make, not to control us or to make decisions for us, but to affect us or to influence us, whether it comes, and, and in a way sharing power with them, with our partner, in that way being more equal. Now we do have to take cultural considerations into account because a traditional, for example, Iranian family, we're going to see the man having much more power, especially in certain ways, and the woman having more responsibilities for other things. There's more traditional roles that we have. But in general, what the research he does is finding is that the more egalitarian, the more equal things are between the couple, the better off they are. So what does that mean, accepting influence? Well, one thing that means is not to dismiss your partner's ideas. And this is something we can see a lot of times in traditional relationships where men can particularly be very demeaning of their wife's opinions in lots of matters because they think, well, this is a man's decision or I know better than you. So who are you to tell me what you think about politics or money or investment or whatever else they might think is more of a man's place? Um, and overall, unfortunately, what we see is in the traditional type of relationship, this feeling that I am better than you, that the man is more powerful, not just physically, but emotionally or mentally, um, their ideas are better, and in that way I'm actually more valuable than you. And this does not contribute to a good relationship. Now again, the cultural considerations have to be taken into account that sometimes this kind of an equilibrium can be established and both partners can be okay with that to a degree, okay as in they can accept that, but to me that's not going to be the pinnacle or the highest point that a relationship can get. Because when you have that differential, when we have a relationship between two unequal people, um, whether one person or both people accept that, you can't have true intimacy, you can't have true connection. There's always going to be some barrier there. There is two people who are not on the same level, on the same plane, who are interacting. Um, there is always going to be a feeling of almost dependency, that I need you because you're the stronger one, the more powerful one. And we can't in that way have true intimacy, which means we're both together, we're both relying on each other, we're both connecting with one another. What you want is have two equals, Two people who, of course, you can have different characteristics, even different roles in the relationship in home and outside of the home, but are two equal partners, two equal people. I'm not better than you. I'm not worse than you. I am your equal. Also, when we create this dynamic, and again, going to this traditional mindset of the man as being more powerful, so the man is stronger, powerful, more valuable, and all of that, what it also contributes to is this, this feeling or this um, theme that the man cannot be vulnerable because to be vulnerable, meaning to show you my weakness, my insecurities, uh, my sad feelings, and of course even being vulnerable itself is not being weak, but what we feel might make us weak. But that fear that if I show any kind of, of that weakness and that vulnerability, then I'm not being powerful and strong. I'm no longer fulfilling my role as a man and being even attractive to you and being as manly and masculine as I need to be. So as a result, this ideal or this type of um, dynamic of the man being worth more 
or being more powerful in the relationship also has this very negative contribution of reducing the vulnerability from the man's side because he's afraid to show anything that might be construed as weakness because I have to be more powerful. And this too takes away from the overall intimacy of the relationship to have a healthy relationship. Both partners need to be vulnerable and first they have to have the space to be vulnerable and to show that side to one another. So we lose a lot when we create these kind of power dynamics and differentials in a relationship. And of course, from the female side, having to feel less than in that dynamic in order to make it work is really horrible, is really bad. When someone has to feel less than their partner to make sure they keep things in equilibrium and balance, well, that, that's a problem. Of course, that means they're holding back their own strength as well. So we can see this interesting dynamic. In order for what I would assume is always that two people are equal, but in order to maintain this balance that the man is worth more than the woman, we have on one side this idea that the man must not show any weakness. So he has to eliminate, or at least eliminate the presence or the um, appearance of any kind of weakness or vulnerability, insecurity, pain, shortcomings. He has to remove that to try to keep himself uh, you know, in balance as being higher. And the woman on the other side, heartbreakingly, has to reduce her strengths to a degree. Because if she becomes too strong, too powerful, um, shines in her way, becomes all that she can be, that can be a threat to this balance at equilibrium as well. Because if she becomes stronger, if she becomes more powerful, I'm actually imagining, you know, two scales. So if the man is being heavier in that sense of having more, if she becomes more valuable, worth more, well, now the scales start to tip back to equal or more in her direction. And that can upset the equilibrium that has been established as well. So we see this and you actually can observe this, that women are given this message in this type of traditional relationship to not be that powerful and strong because that would threaten the equilibrium and that might threaten your partner into feeling um, less than or actually even not even less than interestingly enough but even by feeling equal because the message is the man has to be more f powerful equality is seen as a threat being on the same page or on the same plane being valued equally is seen as a threat unfortunately so of course it's going to be resisted and so the woman is left with this maybe sometimes unconscious, but oftentimes conscious decision or, um, you know, challenge of, well, how do I be myself, but also not be myself too much or too strongly that it doesn't threaten the person that I'm with and in that way threaten my relationship and my marriage. So we can see how these dynamics in a relationship where husband and wife are not seen as equal can lead to big challenges, both for both individuals, again, the man having to hide weakness insecurity, vulnerability, and the woman having to not shine to her fullest degree, not meeting her full potential, not expressing herself in all those ways, and overall the relationship not having the intimacy it can have because, of course, both partners are hiding aspects of themselves from themselves and from each other and keeping that from the relationship. And the reduction in that vulnerability, especially from the man, doesn't allow for that true intimacy to come about. So in the traditional relationship, my own understanding and my observations of it is that there isn't the potential for intimacy or emotional intimacy, or at least it's much less 
than a relationship where two people are equal or approach the relationship as two equal individuals for those reasons that I just outlined. Now, that being said, many uh, relationships I see that are more modern or we can say progressive and that the man and woman are seen as equal, I would say that most of those relationships still lack intimacy or have a minimal amount of intimacy. People avoid intimacy in very different ways. But um, there is the potential there when we have two equal partners. So this principle of accepting influence that John Gottman talks about really is an important one. And you should think about that when you're making big decisions in your life, even if they don't affect, let's say, your family, but with yourself, do you think about your partner and what he or she thinks? Do you ask them for their opinion? When it comes to various matters, do you think what they have to say is important and make it feel important? Uh, partners can be very dismissing of one another. Oh, you don't, what do you, you don't know about this. Or they might not say it so explicitly, but they might not pay attention to what the person is saying. But here we're seeing that it's important that you take your partner's opinions, feelings, thoughts, ideas into account. doesn't mean you think they're an expert in everything and you think they're right, but at least you think it's worth listening to. And that when you're making decisions, you do think about your partner. You're not just thinking about yourself. Uh, when you enter a relationship, and especially when you enter a marriage, you do have to be aware of how the things you do, how your actions, how your schedule, how your decisions for your career are going to affect your partner, affect your relationship and marriage. And even more so, of course, when you have children, because now you have someone who is dependent on you and really who you have to make sure you're making a priority in the decisions you make. But even just when it comes to your partner, that should be how you think. So if you find yourself thinking about your life and not thinking about your partner at all, that could be a red flag to yourself of what's going on. And even before that, before you enter a relationship, you want to ask yourself, am I the kind of person that can take someone into account, that can uh, be aware of someone else and hold them in my mind? People tend to be a little bit different in their capacity for that or how easy it is for them. Some people maybe go to the other extreme. They think too much about what their partner wants and feels and actually neglect what they want. That itself can be a problem. But the other extremists to not consider them at all. And so for that reason, some people really aren't made for a relationship if they have a hard time putting someone else or keeping someone else in mind. Uh, at the same time, it could be an indication that the person with you, that you are with is not the right person if you find that you don't think about them that seriously or take them into account in that way. They should be involved or at least on your mind with almost every decision that you're making. They really should be there, even in the sense that you at times are going to put their needs before yours or think about what they want before what you want, not in neglecting yourself, but in showing your partner that they mean that much to you. So this idea of accepting influence, I find it very interesting or important for all families to think about, but especially Iranian families and especially the Iranian men. Ask yourself, do I take my wife Seriously, do I listen to what she has to say? Do I care about what she has to say? Um, and then I do think it's important for us to think about it. when we take a bigger picture view, sometimes we don't give women that power or that right to have uh, opinions that we're going to value because we tell them they're not supposed to be the smarter one in the relationship. They're not supposed to threaten their husband or even be equal to him. So they are told to make themselves less. And I think that's harmful, of course, to them especially, but then we all miss out 
on what they can contribute. So it's something worth thinking about. Do I let my partner influence me? Excuse me. Do I let my partner uh, affect what I think and feel? Do I take them into account? And again, this was one of John Gottman's seven principles for making marriage work. Uh, It's a great book. I talked about it last year as one of the earlier books of the week because it's a great uh, book you can read together with your partner to look at what you guys do and don't do in your relationship that either is hurting it or can make it stronger as activities and little exercises you can do together as well. So it's definitely a book I'd highly recommend. The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work by John Gottman. All right, we've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. Back studio number three one zero four four one zero five five five. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Yes, I'm here. Hi. Are are we on speaker? Not anymore. Not anymore. Okay, thank you. Go ahead. I'm sorry, I could not hear your last sentence. That's what I said. Go ahead. Well, I am in an Iranian woman mm-hmm. who had been married to an Iranian guy for a long, long time. And um, I'm 45. And because that relationship was extremely bad, I don't want to use any other adjectives to say, you know, abusive or this or that. I finally divorced. My kids are grown. And I swore to myself that I would never go with another Iranian guy. So somehow I met an American guy who seemed to be perfect for me. He was 48 only three years older. Uh, his wife had just, not just, had died a couple of years ago. Um, I was out of my house and everything because my Iranian husband took everything. And he was in a position that he had a house and he only needed a, a woman to be there. And we really clicked very good. However, I had no cultural knowledge about American men, especially in comparison to Iranian culture. And the biggest problem is this. In Iranian culture, we do not grow up with the um, habit of drinking, nor us or neither parents. And um, 
What, what do you mean by I'm doing sorry. things? I'm sorry? You said that we don't grow up with the habit of doing things. What, what does that mean? I, I meant drinking. That's what I said. Drinking? We, drinking, yeah. Oh. We don't drink alcohol. And it's been like, uh, it's been like a custom. Our parents didn't drink and the kids didn't drink. And even when I grew up, especially in a foreign land like America, I didn't drink because it wasn't, it wasn't something pleasant to me. It was such a, it had such a bitter taste and it always gave me huge headaches. So I wasn't a fan of drinking. Longer story short, this guy, without telling me, he is a full-fledged drunk. Okay, so let me, I want to stop you there for a second, because first, I don't agree that Iranians don't drink or their families don't drink. Some might not, but, but some definitely do. So it's not just a, just a cultural thing. And then there's also a difference between drinking and being a drunk or being an alcoholic. So um, drinking is not itself, I, well, I wouldn't say it's good for you, but I mean in moderation, that's anyone's choice to make. But there's a big difference between drinking and being an alcoholic. And being an alcoholic can make it very difficult or almost impossible to be in a relationship with someone while they're still drinking. But it's different than just saying because of drinking or because of this cultural difference that that's an issue. Does that make sense? Well, yes and no. The main thing is that this guy is a drunk. He's an alcoholic. Okay. He is a person that not even one night can go without drinking. Mm-hmm. And so again, that's not just and cultural. That's a, that's like an illness. It is like an illness, but as as far as I could see, all of his friends, all of his family, they're all in the same shoes. So whenever we go out to eat something, everybody drinks. Mm-hmm. Everybody drinks, you know, until they get blue in the face. But... Um, well, of course, I couldn't drink, and I would get sick, and I, you know, I didn't have to put, uh, you know, keep up with them, and I am the only one who drinks, you know, soda pop mm-hmm. or water or something. They, they, in the beginning, they did just laugh at me a little bit, but then later on, they got better. Um, but the, the, the story is all about this partner that I had, and we're living together. Alcoholism has so many side effects, extreme side effects. The person, these are the things that I have discovered on my own, has no patient for nothing. Their patient is extremely low. Um, There is no way to sleep with them because of the consequences of drinking too much and their body odor and the stuff are not, um, normal person cannot stay with them. So I, I had to move, change my room. So I'm in a different room. Um, then, then the attitude that they, he would go 
so angry, so fast on something that is almost has no value. He would go sky high angry to the point that you would think he's going to kill me right in a second. Can I? I'm going to stop you there for a second. Sound does sound horrible. I'm wondering what makes you want to be with him. Well, at this point, um, at this point, just I don't dare to leave him because he's going to get extremely upset, and I don't want to upset him. Then I am looking for places to move out, and he have to watch your language on the radio, please. That's not an okay word, yeah. Um, My apology. Yeah. Um, even, even this word in English, I did, I had not heard that yeah. before. So, but the thing, oh. you know, I, I, you know, I know you were in a, a bad relationship that you didn't want to talk much about um, uh, in the marriage. You said it was not healthy, and I know you said, "Well, I don't want to be with another American, uh, Iranian man." But I think what you needed to tell yourself is, "I don't, I don't want to be with another." man who's going to treat me really bad or who's very mentally ill and not doing well but there seems to be clearly something in you that is that is choosing these kinds of relationships and then you enter them and then make it all about their feelings and in some way almost enjoy in an unconscious way or maybe not enjoy but are comfortable being in this position of being the hurt one being the victim of the relationship there's something no, you're getting out of that Okay, it just no, seems like no, the way you, no. but but when you say I don't leave him because he's going to be sad, well, that to me sounds like you only care well, about I'm what he. I'm a little bit scared of him. I'm a little bit scared of him. Okay, but that to me is again clearly this relationship is very very unhealthy, and I know leaving a ending a relationship is not easy. I'm not saying it's simple, but I want you to recognize you're somehow choosing these types of people too, and it's not a cultural thing. All American men are not alcoholics who are emotionally abusive and and scary. That's not cultural. That's You're choosing these two people that you've been with. So I want you to recognize some things going on there. And my guess would be your parents, probably the marriage was not a good one or the way they tr treated you was not very good. That would be my guess. You mean my parents? Yes. Marriage? Yeah. Or how they treated you. They were again um, classic Iranians, um, not very. The other thing that I have to mention, I have a PhD, mm -hmm. and this partner of mine, this American partner of mine, has only eighth grade education. Mm -hmm. We don't see eye to eye. We do not. Whenever we explain. If, if we have a philosophical conversation, he cannot come to my level. Not that my level is high, but um, he is just uh, very um, different than me. He's very different. He's somewhere. He's someone who's been living or who's been raised in suburbs of suburbs, and I was my background, I was coming from Tehran, and then I had been here in 
very big and advanced cities. Right. So, so again, I'm trying to figure out, you know, I asked you why you're still with him or why, what even, I'm not even sure what attracted you to him, but you have, you haven't said one good thing about him. I didn't understand you. I'm sorry. That's okay. That's okay. I'm saying you haven't told me one good thing about this man. Well, well, I'm going to tell you one good thing about him. Um, first of all, he is um, he he does work for me, just such like before she would say, "You don't have a shohar, you have a no cash." He is the no cash. He so he's your servant. like servant, okay? No, I don't expect servant. Okay, he does worker. It. He does it. He does everything. He asks as soon as I say. Okay, do you want us to go shopping? He says, I go shopping. Give me the list. As soon as I say we need to clean the house, I clean the house. He is a worker person. Okay. He is a person who enjoys doing physical physical work. In the beginning, he was so mad with me. Why I am not getting up at 5 o'clock and working around the house? And I told him, that's not the way that I've been. Mm-hmm. I've been going to office at 8 o'clock, coming back at 5 o'clock. I've been sitting behind a desk, doing something using my brain. Mm-hmm. I am not a person who can do all the physical work. Yeah. So finally he got it that I'm not good for, for, for scrubbing and for this and that. So he does lots and lots of work for me. And that's a bad thing, actually, because it makes me, in a way, disabled. All of my life, I have been running my own responsibilities. Now he is doing everything. And I think it is because he wants to be in charge of everything. I don't know, but I mean, I'm just telling you what you're telling me more and more. This seems like an incredibly unhealthy relationship. I mean, beyond... well, sure, but also I want you to, but but I want you to again take take responsibility from your side of choosing someone like this. I didn't choose him. When I chose him, he was a normal man. He never told me that he drinks. He never told me that he's a drunk. Okay. He never told me that he has to drink every day. Right, but he uh, was a normal person. But once he started showing you that, you still accepted it, and I think. Usually, you probably saw some indication, even if it was unconsciously. Somehow, you were drawn to this man, who seems no, like. it took me a long time okay, to but... understand what is what is the meaning of somebody who's drunk, and you live with him. It took me a long time. I had no clue. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying now I you have a. Clue. But you you had to have a clue. I mean, you didn't have a clue just today. You've had a clue for a while. But, but I'm saying, I really think you don't want to take any responsibility for anything that's happening and you just blame him for everything and even no, blame... I, I do. I do take responsibility. Okay, so what do you take responsibility for? I take responsibility for being... Uh, as soon as I understood that he has such a big problem, I should have left. I should mm-hmm. have um, taken off or whatever you want to call it. I was naive. I, maybe I thought I can change him. Maybe I thought I can, I can, I can influence him. Mm-hmm. Maybe he could see that I, because I'm not drinking, maybe he can become like me. Mm-hmm. Maybe because he sees that I have a healthier lifestyle, I eat like this and blah, blah. 
maybe he would like it. Maybe he sees that I'm exercising and I'm taking care of myself. Maybe he changes. But it was just totally opposite. He was, as I said, a full-fledged drug. <laughs> and it took me a long time to just to understand it. I did not know how is it to yeah. see a person who is an alcoholic. Plus, I didn't know how they're added to this. Plus, I had never lived with somebody like that. Sure. But I'm saying now that you know, what, what do you want to do? Of course, I want to leave. Okay. Because but at the same time, I have to leave on a peaceful note. It might not be peaceful. I mean, you know, he might not be. He's probably not going to be happy about it. If you're waiting for him to want you to break up and end the relationship, you might always wait. But again, the feeling I get is you then make it about his feeling. But there's something keeping you in this relationship. And that's what I want you to think about. That's why I brought up your past. There's something about him that you're drawn towards, even if you don't want to accept that. It's hard for me to believe that there's not something there that makes you accept this kind of relationship. Well, I would say something, not that you brought it up. My ex-husband, the Iranian guy, mm-hmm. he never took any responsibility. Although he was kind of educated and he was going to office and working, but he never, ever helped around the house or cared about, I don't know, or even pulling the... Uh, recycled bin to the curb. So he was the laziest, and for the Farsi word, I don't know what the English word, he was so nomad. Mm-hmm. Now look, I, I, so maybe there's something you like about this your new person that he's this way, the new guy he's this way. Well, but I, but I'm going. But hold hold on one second. Let me. We're going to go to a commercial break. We're going to after the break talk a little bit more about your own childhood because there must be something there. So just hold on, and we'll talk after the break. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fatty Delacqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with a caller. We'll go back to her caller. Are you still there? Yes. Okay. So you you told me about your marriage, which you didn't get into too much, but you said it was really a horrible relationship, and then now you're uh, have in a new relationship, and you're living with a man who you call who you're describing as an alcoholic. And from what I heard, just mentioned lots of negative things. The one positive thing you said was that he works a lot or does a lot of things around the house, but nothing about his character that you mentioned. But I did want to talk about your childhood because my guess is there's something there. How would you describe your mom and dad? Well, my mom and dad were tradi- was traditional Iranian, mm-hmm. very low education. They just popped out children, and we were a ton of kids. Didn't get attention, didn't get love. As a matter of fact, my mother, who was in charge of giving us love and attention, was very discriminatory to the point that um, she always lost uh, the two other kids who were older than me, one older daughter and one older son. She loved them to death, and for some unknown reason, she hated me, mm. 
even up to this date. Um, of course, now that she's older and maybe wiser, she has at least um, doesn't do it overtly. But for years and years, I was the one who didn't get any love and attention. None, none, none. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't, we weren't poor family. We weren't a poor, poor family. But I was the one that I had to um, wear the old clothes from my sister. And uh, yeah, I still have very hard feelings about my mother. Yeah, well, I can I can feel that. And and you know, hearing you just describe the way you felt in your childhood, it does give us some insight into what you're experiencing now. That that you're used to not getting your needs met almost in a way I think you seek that out to be in these kinds of relationships. On the surface I know you're saying you don't like it, but there has to be something that's you know, kept you in that marriage and then helped you find this guy. And as much as you tell me I had no idea he was this way, uh, I have a hard time believing that you had no way saw any part of him or at least unconsciously weren't drawn to that. And even about his education and other parts of him, it seems like you knew. And so it's hard to say exactly what brought you here, but there is something that we want to look at and why you're choosing these kinds of men and staying in these relationships. And even in how you described things, I'll be honest, there was this feeling not of, I'm in this really bad situation, I really want to get out of it, but almost a sense of pride in being with someone who treats you so poorly, which could come back from this feeling of, it was my no, strength. I have no sense of pride, no doctor. Okay, no. That, that's how it felt to me that you were describing it. Look what I'm able to withstand. Look what I've had to go through. There was some pride in that, that you're able to withstand all this, which reminds me of in your childhood where you had to go through so much where maybe you learned it was a sign of your strength to, to not get what you wanted, to not get what you, well, you need. Well, uh, my childhood was pretty, as I said, pretty uh, bad. Mm-hmm. And then my Iranian husband that I met was married for a very long time was also extremely difficult mm-hmm. and unfair mm-hmm. from any corner. The fact that this guy came along and I had promised myself that I'd never go out with another Iranian guy possibly drawn me, did draw me to go with this guy. Mm-hmm. And I knew that his education was lower than me. I knew that, but he still was a wise guy, well-spoken um, and so on and so forth. And then later on, I saw his shortcomings, and I discovered, oh, these are when somebody is drunk. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is when somebody does it. I mean, it took me a long time because I was so uneducated about drunk people, especially in our very bad culture. I have to say that our culture is so behind, like 100 million years. They never let us date other people. So we have no clue about how sexuality is number one. Number two, how people treat you, how, how a guy, I'm saying it as, a, as an example, should treat you if the first one wasn't good. You go with, you know, you leave and go with second one. 
my culture, my background has imprisoned me with with everything that I got was like forced upon me. Mm-hmm. For example, my Iranian husband had no clue about sexuality, none whatsoever, nor even he cared. Uh, whenever that I said, don't you think we should get um, more active or something, he called me all kinds of names. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a total disastrous life that I had with him. And then again, it, I want to put the blame on the culture. It was extremely difficult mm-hmm. to divorce. It was extremely difficult to divorce. And then I met this guy, just like I am a child, just like I'm a teenager. I didn't know anything. I didn't yeah. know anything. Well, you know, there could be something, you know, there where you, like you're saying, because of the lack of the experience. But, you know, I, I want to, again, make you see the part where, because it seems like this relationship, you know it should end, um, but you haven't yet. And I know it can, you're saying you're afraid of him. So I, I don't know if you're actually physically afraid for your safety or not. Is, is that part of it? You're physically afraid of him? Yes and no. He has also put me in the position that he has introduced me to his mother, to his, you know, relatives, to his sister, and he has put me in a position that kind of makes it extremely difficult. Because you've met his family? I'm sorry? You're saying because you met his family, breaking up is difficult? Well, he, first of all, we've been together for about three, four years. Okay. And I have finally got to the point that I know that I have to get out no matter what, especially that my only first experience was with my Iranian husband, and then the second one was another disaster. So I'm thinking, I have no luck. I barely... No, but that's do. luck. Hold on. That's where I want you to... That's where I'm talking about responsibility. The Luck is not what we're talking about here. You have to somehow recognize your choice in being with these people. If it's just luck, because even the way you said it, I almost said something before you said, came along, or I somehow ended up with this person. It takes away completely your agency or your um, responsibility in what's happening too. And the reason why I say that is not about blame. It's for you to recognize that you somehow were responsible or somehow were attracted to these men and chose them so that if you do decide to enter another relationship, that you recognize you have the power to choose differently or what you also probably have to do is work through what happened in your childhood because your radar is off in who you're attracted to and who you are choosing. I want you to take that responsibility not about blame, but for you to recognize you can choose something different next time. And until you don't try to work on it, you likely won't. Okay, you say now, not Iranian, not American, you'll find from some other culture someone that treats you bad. It's not just about culture here. And we saw that. It wasn't that if you chose an American man, everything would be okay, because your radar for who you're attracted to is the issue. Who you're finding yourself drawn to, that's a problem. Well, as a, again, I'm saying that he, I was drawn to this person because in the beginning he 
showed me totally a different face of him. Again, I don't want to put all the blame on him. I want to, I take your word, 110%, mm-hmm. that I am responsible, that I have been in situations that I had to go and pick between Dr. your daddy always is between the worst and the bad. Mm-hmm. So I I had to go pick the worst or the bad. So I wasn't in a position that, as I said, my Ron and husband had taken away everything that I had. All of my assets, all of my houses, all of my properties, everything that I had. And uh not, not that I was poor again. It was just a matter of all of a sudden feeling being stripped. And then this guy in the beginning just accepted me with open arms. And he didn't have that kind of uh, reactions that usually Iranian men would give you if you are divorced. Oh, you're divorced. It's just like you are a bad girl. Uh, his, his his reaction was good, and again in the beginning he was okay, but I didn't understand the meaning of oh. I know, but you like but let me stop you there again because you keep telling me about the past. We're talking about right now. What are you going to choose to do right now? Not I took me well, so I long have to, to get figure. out of this relationship. Okay. ASAP. Okay, and the fact that you've met his family, yes, I mean. It, you know, breakups aren't easy, but it's always that way. There's no breakup where if you've been together a few years, it's always going to be difficult and you've met each other's friends, each other's friends and family, and you have memories and attachments and there's complications and you live together. So it's, there's things going on, but I do want you to recognize somehow I still feel that you, you choose to put yourself in this situation and there's something unconscious you get from being unhappy, from being in a bad relationship. Somehow you like to to keep yourself there to punish yourself I like to do what I'm sorry to keep yourself sure to keep yourself in this bad relationship there's something that maybe you feel you don't deserve to be in a good relationship or you don't deserve to be happy or whatever it might be but somehow just in how you talk about things there seems to be this feeling of deserving what you're getting and that's another part of the problem i would heavily suggest that you go into therapy for looking at what's been going on to you before and even in helping you get out of this relationship. But to me, the chances that you enter a healthy relationship next are very low until you really start to address these underlying issues of what happened in your past and what's keeping you in these relationships. Yeah, well, I, I, I definitely understand that I am responsible. And I definitely understand that I have to take my share. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I definitely have to understand that how difficult it's going to be. Um, and I have been, I don't want to just exaggerate, but all of my life I've been in therapy. Mm-hmm. All of my life I've been in therapy in order to better myself and, and, and somehow get things to work out. I'm talking about my, my Iranian marriage. Mm-hmm. And then here, um, I don't know. I feel that I've been like 
like imprisoned. But at the same time, I do understand what you're saying. A big part of it is in me. Right. You're, you know, you're putting yourself in prison. It's like you're in a prison where the door is open, but you're standing to stay inside the, the, the bar, the wires, you know, in, in, behind the bars. The, the door is open, but you don't walk out because somehow you feel you deserve to be there. When you were a kid, you had no choice. You were put in the prison that you were, you know, your childhood was. But because of that, you got so used to that that you put yourself in the prison and you're sad about being in the prison, but you have the key to get out. You just don't use it. You don't walk out the door because somehow you think you deserve it or because somehow this is comfortable or something you're used to. You're, you're choosing to stay there. That's the part, again, I mentioned it before. It's not about blame for me. It's about recognizing you can choose something different for yourself, but then also recognizing there's some reason why you're continuing to choose the people you choose and to stay in those relationships. There's something about the pain and discomfort that feels right to you. And that's but the unfortunate part. But do you see how heavy are these things that you are either discovering in me or or mentioning to me that... Sure, absolutely. They're not easy things. I'm sorry, I didn't no, hear... No, I'm saying, that absolutely, they're not. And I'm, you know, because of we're just talking about in this format, you know, I'm speaking about it quickly, but yeah, they're, of course, very heavy things. And I don't think you deserve to be in that relationship that you're in or the marriage you're in. But I also, like I said, give you the responsibility that you're choosing to be in there, but I definitely feel in the way you talk about them, something that indicates that you want to be there, that you're choosing it for some unconscious reason. No, I don't reason. want to be there. I didn't choose. I, and I don't want to take the responsibility okay. of myself. I am responsible, but I did not choose and I did not... Uh, and I did not enjoy being in prison. No, by in, I when, by, when I say comfortable, it doesn't mean you enjoy it like it feels good. But very often we choose a misery we're used to rather than risking something new. So that's what I mean by choose it. I don't mean you're having the time of your life and it feels really good. But somehow you're choosing a pain that you're used to, which we so often do, rather than risking doing something new or giving ourselves something different. That's what I mean by choosing it. I sure. cannot deny this fear. I cannot deny of again risking everything yeah. and then again losing everything and then again, um, you know, taking the backlashes and 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 all of the other problems that comes with it. Of yeah. course, I'm scared to death. Um, so the fear is a very big factor sure. again if you. Right, but I don't want, you know, a few times you've blamed everything on culture, but every family is not like the family you had. So I want you to recognize that. It's not that every every Iranian feels exactly what you do. You're right, there's a lot of cultural components to what you're sharing. But I want you to recognize the uniqueness, because also you take away the responsibility of your parents and what happened in your life. This is cultural, what I feel. No, my family treated me this way. My mom was this way. My dad was this way. Yes, culture influenced how they were, but don't just make it all about culture. My husband was this way because of culture. My current boyfriend is a, a drunk because of America. No, it's not that way. People in America aren't all alcoholics. You might go out with his friends. Maybe he has a lot of alcoholic friends and his family has alcoholism. And of course, they go out. That's one thing. But if he drinks every day at home, that's different than when you go out to dinner with friends having drinks. So 
you, you do a lot of taking away what's happening and projecting it onto something else. It's all just culture. It's all just something else. It's not about me. I want you to say, I can make a different life for myself. I also feel a strong fear of being alone. You mentioned that you're afraid. I can understand it's hard for you to detach. I'm not saying anything I'm asking you to do is easy, but I'm take, saying take it seriously. You said you've been in therapy before. I would suggest going in again. And also, if you do go stay with the same therapist for a long time, um, make sure you continue your therapy with one person for even six months, one year, because it's going to be deeper, the stuff that, that we're talking about. So nothing I'm asking you to do is easy, and I, if I made it seem that way, I apologize. But I do want to make it clear that I want you to take more responsibility for your own betterment, for the own possibility or your own possibility of having something better come your way. But uh, you know, I thank you for your call. I, I wish you the best with that. And I hope you'll you'll get out of the relationship to take care of yourself better. I thank you much, much more because you opened my eyes mm. to my own shortcomings, to my own inability to make hard decisions. And whatever it is, culture or fear or my upbringing, maybe all of them, maybe all the above, they have caused me to become who I am. And I thank you for opening my eyes. Mm. I thank you for giving me advice, and I uh, hope that things work out. Well, I hope, I, I appreciate you calling and thank you for your kind words, but, and again, you know, I want you to make them work out. So best of luck to you in making those choices to take better care of yourself, and hopefully you recognize you do deserve that. But thanks for your call. Thank you, sir. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, we've reached another commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Yes, hello. I'm yes. on the air. Yes, you are. Thanks for calling. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Do I have enough time? Yes, we'll have a, we have a little bit more time, at least this segment, and we'll have even a next segment if we need it. So, yes, go ahead. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, okay, my question is about my grandson. Let me give you some history. And okay. uh, he's, my, uh, he's my son's son. Mm-hmm. And... Um, my son was uh, got married when he was 18, actually. They weren't in love, but she got pregnant, and, you know, they decided to get married. And he had a full scholarship at one of the best universities in California, and he was going to quit and take care of his wife, you know, get married and take care of this child. But we decided that, you know, no, it's not right. You better move with us. We're going to take care of finance, everything. You go finish your school. Anyway, he moved with us, and they had the second kids in our house, and they stayed with us for almost eight years. After he got his uh, bachelor and master's degree, he decided to go to medical school. Mm-hmm. And we still supported him, and he said, fine, son, and he got accepted to one of the best medical schools. And while he was in medical school, he finished it, and then in another state. And when he finished it, uh, when he went for his internship, he find out that his wife is cheating. Mm. And he was, I mean, agonized in pain and everything. So they decided to divorce. 
and they divorced and the kids stay between both of them because he got the same apartment near her so they can see both parents and eventually he got he he got accepted in another residency and fellowship so he moved out of that estate and he decided to take the kids with him the ex-wife agreed with it because she was not um She's a wonderful person. I still have very good relationship with her. I love her dearly. But she's more like a friend, like a child, not a mom, mm-hmm. not responsible mom. I mean, she would forget to pick up the kids from school, and they would stay there, you know, until 6 or 7 o'clock at night. And anyway, I have very good relationship with both my grandchildren. There is one girl, 16 years old, and my grandson is 19. And since my son raised them, and they were almost 10 years, 11 years and 9 years old. So he was very restricted, very perfectionist, because he was, you know, once they become a doctor and they achieve with all this hardship, he was very hard on his son. Mm-hmm. And from beginning, he was hard and stuff. And anyway, his son, extremely smart. And what I'm saying, he has an IQ of 140. They tested him, both mm-hmm. of them, both kids. But he was failing in school. And I got him therapy and I encouraged my son to take him to therapy. He was going to therapy. Obviously, him and his father didn't have a good relationship, constantly aggravation, constantly fight over his homework, over his school. Anyway, he didn't finish high school and we agreed, you know, we told him to get your GED. He took his GED and after he finished high school, and he moved with us, which okay. is in California. His dad and his uh, sister are in another state. He moved with us, and we tried to, you know, have a very peaceful environment for him. He got a job, and he registered for school, but since he's out of the state, he has to pay a lot of tuition, so mm-hmm. he decided to take one class. My son is paying for his school, and he got his license. He's driving. My son bought him a car, and he's ex- Extremely decent person, my grandson, extremely compassionate. Now, my question is that when he was in high school, he had a girlfriend. Okay. And they've been together for almost four years. Now my grandson is 19, 19 years old. Mm-hmm. And his girlfriend was living with the mom. Obviously, mom had a boyfriend that he was abusive. Mm. So the girlfriend moved to Arizona with his dad which is closer to California. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he was a thing with the dad, and the dad was one of those Jehovah's Witness, extremely religion, and asked her that you have to um, break up your relationship with my grandson, mm-hmm. and you got to join the church, and you got to marry someone from the church. And the grand, the the, the the girlfriend called my grandson, and my grandson talked to me. I said, what do you want to do? He said, she wants to move here. I said, okay, what are you going to do? And my grandson talked to his mom, and his mom agreed to take her. One, uh, one thing I forgot, my grandson lived with his mother for a week, and then he called me and he said, I cannot live here because they have too many dogs, and, you know, I don't like it. So... He decided to move with us from his mom's house. His, his, mom, his mom lives near us. Anyway, the girlfriend moved with the mom. Now the girlfriend wants to move with us. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 
for several reasons. And one of her reasons is that my grandson's mom doesn't have time to take care of anything, to register him for school. She's 18. And, you know, take care of the small things like insurance, like this, you know, take care to take care of me, to get the driver's license and kind of push her toward, you know, school and, you know, get successful, basically. She called me last night and she asked me if she can move with me. The granddaughter? I mean, the your grandson's girlfriend. Girlfriend, okay. yes. Financially, hmm. I'm okay. I mean, I always believe that, you know, somehow God provided. I have no problem with that. My only concern is that my grandson is very distracted overall. Mm-hmm. He goes to therapy too. Every Good. two weeks he goes to therapy. We find someone because we figure... It could be some depression or anxiety. Yeah, well, clearly, you know, let me say one thing. When you have someone with a 140 IQ and they're failing out, that means something emotionally is not okay. Exactly. So, obviously, even actually anyone failing out, it, it's almost always an indication of more of an emotional thing than something exactly. else. So, I, I would That's be concerned about that. As soon as he got here... As soon as he moved with me, I find him a doctor, you know, not very good therapist that he's very happy with him. Good. If you, can, if you can make it every week, I would recommend that even more than every yes, two weeks. but because of the school, and right now he's back to uh, that state, seeing his dad for two weeks. As soon as he comes back, okay. he's going to go to a schedule every week. Okay, good. And we want to do that for the, gra- for the girlfriend, too. Okay. I want to find her a girlfriend, you know, therapy. Now, what kind of rules? I can put in my house when they live together. Well, so you've already decided to have them to have her live with you. I haven't told her yet. Okay, so we have I to, talked you know. to my husband, and my husband said, "If we can help her to succeed, why not?" Okay, it's, it's getting—it's a very complicated situation. I can see how obviously it's not something you chose, but now you're 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 forced into it. Now we're at a commercial break, and then we'll have time after the breaks. I know you asked me before about time, so I'll have one more segment. So you gave me like a lot of the background. I'm sure I'll have more questions, but let's talk after the break more about what's going on and what you can do, okay? Sure. All right, no thank problem. You. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fatty Delacqui. We'll be right back. back before the break we're with the caller let's go back to her now caller are you still there yes yes okay so you're talking about a pretty complicated situation you find yourself in where your 19 year old grandson is living with you and his girlfriend that he's actually been with for about four years um, is due to some complications in her own family asking to live with you guys as well and it seems like so far you and your husband are are leaning towards saying yes is that right yeah, I mean, we have very good communication. We put down the con and pro and everything, and we both are agree to do that. It's just that we were not sure what kind of rules. We are not going to charge them for rent. I'm not getting any financial support from my son. I don't want it. And we are not, we are not planning to charge them for rent because then we, have, we can put the rule, set the rule. Mm-hmm. And we just want to help them 
especially my concern is my grandson. And I just want to make sure he doesn't get more distraction and be able to finish school and, you know, continue his life working and everything. So we were not sure what kind of rules we can put for him if we decided to have him move with us. Yeah, that is a pretty big if because, you know, things are getting very complicated and you guys raising in a way will be raising two teenagers neither of which are actually your kids one is your grandson of course and his girlfriend and that makes it even more complicated even things like do you have them live in the same room or i don't know if you've talked yes. about that have you guys have you thought about that at all yeah they have no problem if they live on the same okay yeah. yeah okay we have enough we have two rooms we can give one to her and one to him he was a stay she was a staying with us for a week and she had another room, but, you know, they decided to sleep together. I mean, there is no problem. I mean, okay. So, you know, and my other concern is thinking about as much as you seem to be doing a great job as a grandmother and serving as a kind of a mother figure to him, um, how his relationships are with his own mother and father, you know, your grandson. And My not... grandson had a one day, because we never told them what, what happened, and they don't know what was the result of the divorce. Mm-hmm. Dave and I tried for them to have a wonderful relationship with them all. I have a very good relationship with her. She comes here, she stays with me for a couple of days. And during the divorce and during all those things that my son was very upset and angry, we suggested him to go to the therapy and you know, deal with the anger. The only thing is going to hurt the kids. So both me and my husband, we were trying to minimize any conflict after. Mm-hmm. And we were such because we all have very good relationship, very open relationship. I can easily communicate with my grand, my ex daughter in law, which I call her daughter. And my grandson's relationship with her father, with his father, was very shaky. Because my son is very logical, and everything is by the rule. I think he was very harsh, even though when they were living with us for eight years. As a young father, he was very restricted. We didn't say anything back then because we didn't want to give, um, take away his authority as a father. Mm-hmm. But he was a young father. He was 19. And I don't know. He, didn't, he doesn't even know what to do back then. I know he hit him a couple of times. I know he talked to him. He apologized for all the hardship he caused them, you know, going mm-hmm. to medical school, going to fellowship, you know, keep on moving from our house after eight years, go to LA, and then go to New Mexico, and then move to another state. So he agreed, and he talked to him. And my grandson said, you know, I forgive my dad, because I know he was young, he was, he didn't know how to do, he thought it's the best thing. And, you know, but he's kind of reserved with him. Mm-hmm. So they I mean, don't have, um, they're trying, my son is trying and he's trying to have a good relationship. But it's yeah. not there. I but, can feel that they have more um, loving feeling toward their mom. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you know, you're saying they're both trying, but it's 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 on your son to really try more than his son, you know. That we're going to put that on him um, to make the relationship better. So we, we do want to focus on what your son can do to make things better in the relationship. We can't put that pressure on your grandson. 
And it seems like, yes, he was young then, but he's not so young anymore. And he has to, to work no. on that and change himself. And, you know, the idea of being rational or logical, usually when people tell me that, it's that the other person is not aware of their emotions and how it's affecting them. And also it means that they're not sensitive or care about anyone else's feelings. So they can't take someone else's feelings into account. So that's a problem. He needs to, he needs to work on that for sure. He's doing that. He's going to therapy. Okay, and good. And his daughter too. They're all in the therapy, you know. He did, he did have some drinking problem. And I wrote a letter to him. He was kind of under the rug. The kids told me. I didn't know. And I wrote him a letter as an email. I said, I'm not, you know, accusing you. You're alcoholic or anything. But your drinking is affecting the kids. You better stop it because before you know it, you're going to ruin your life. And we didn't talk about it anymore. I just want him to know that I know what's going mm -hmm. on. And what you just shared, you know, is a, a perfect example of what I'm talking about. No, it's not about uh, attacking your son, but the idea when people tell me they're so logical, clearly if you're using alcohol, you're using it to deal with emotions that you're having a hard time dealing with. Exactly. So when people tell me I'm a logical person, not an emotional person, it, that doesn't make sense. That's like saying I don't have a temperature, in a body temperature. You always have a body temperature. You always have an emotion. You just I maybe aren't aware. Yeah. I agree with you. But yeah. he acts like he's illogical. He tried to be logical, right. even though he's hiding his emotion. I totally agree with yeah, you. That's, I noticed that too. Right. Yeah. No, and I noticed that you're you're not. I'm saying that to the people listening because I hear this a lot of people telling me how rational they are, but it just tells me they're not aware of their emotions. And actually, the best thing we can do is to integrate our our logic and our emotion together. We can't yes. just be one of them. So we have to have both. And when we don't, actually, sometimes we ignore them and then it turns into problems. And I'm glad your son is working on that because that's, that's important because your, your, your grandson really needs his dad more than he's going to need you and, and his mom. But they need to work on that relationship. But I do want to get to your specific question. When you say rules, like what are you thinking about as far as rules that you want to have for your son and his girlfriend when they're in your home? I'll be honest, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Both me and my husband, we talked about it, and I told him, you know, my son plays, yeah, my grandson plays games. And he stopped for a while, and then he bought it, you know, after he got a job, he bought a game again for himself. Mm -hmm. And that concerned me, so I told my husband, maybe we should tell him, you know, he cannot play game during the weeks. And then he said, you know, you're acting like your son. <laughs> he came here, so we don't want to be like our son. Yeah. And by the way, let me tell you another thing that my son's, my both son and father passed away when I was 27 years old. So I raised my both son by myself, basically, until I remarried. Hmm. So okay. my husband is now, but they have very good relationships. Sure, so your husband is not his grandfather, is what no, you're saying. No, but right. they love him so okay. much. Good. And he's, yeah, yeah, everything, you know. Yeah. Relationship is great. I okay. have no complaint yet. Now, Thank so God. even though you guys aren't, and he's not even, you're, you're, you're telling me your husband's not biologi biologically related, even though you guys aren't their actual parents, you're going to have to play a parental type role with them to a degree. And so your, your grandson's right. He doesn't want you to be like his dad, but you might have some rules or rules of the house. Um, but what I would say, and it's true for almost any aged kid, is if you want to come up with rules for him, make, up, make sure you're making the rules with him meaning that you're not just telling him, look, this is a rule from now on, no video games Monday through Friday, but tell him your concern or have a conversation with him, especially because he's 19. So it's not going to work to just be a dictator and tell him this is a new rule, but you want to have a conversation with him. My bigger concern is how he's doing himself emotionally and then for his own life as far as education and, 
and career and making sure he gets that on track. And you did mention being concerned about how distracted he is, and that is important to keep in mind what's going on for him. So I would also focus on on that and how he's doing and what he wants to do because it seems like definitely he has a lot of potential. And this is why I've talked before about how EQ is more important than IQ when it comes to success, because you could have someone like your grandson, 140 IQ, but if he's been through a lot and emotionally he's not in a good place, unfortunately that potential doesn't really manifest itself, doesn't show itself. So I would really focus on what you can do to make him get focused on his life. And you you don't want to make him feel judged because you, you said his father seems to be that way he's very perfectionistic so you have to be ready that he's going to be almost allergic to that so you don't want to make him feel like you're saying what are you doing with your life you're not doing anything but asking him what he wants to do what is what's his um plan or what he wants and how can you help him him, then I then we talk to him. I usually, you know, I just ask him, so what do you want to do? And he says, you know, I want to register in a school, so I help him to do that. But he procrastinates everything. And now he said he wants to go study, for example, he's taking philosophy class and political science. He likes those subjects. I mean, he's very familiar. And he tells me what he wants to do, but he doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he might have some of his he might have some of his father's perfectionism too, which makes it hard for him to to take action. And being so smart, he's used to things coming easy for him, so he doesn't like um, making mistakes or not being good at something. So he wants exactly. to just be good at it. Yeah, exactly. That's what he told me. Yeah. So there's this. He said, you, you know, know, I'm afraid to make a choice. Yeah. That's why I said no. You're doing great. I mean, you just have to go step by step. You don't have to make it huge choices. You just have to do a step-by-step, take one class, see how you're doing, see what subject you are interested in, and then continue on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, a book he might find interesting, he doesn't have to read the whole book, or if you want, read a, like the, the author uh, of the book Mindset. Her name is Carol Dweck, D-W-E-C-K. But related to what you just said, that one part, this idea of having a growth mindset, meaning that we realize that life and learning is about effort and you can get better at things rather than many people can have a fixed mindset, meaning that, well, if I'm really smart, I should just get it. And if I don't get it, that means I'm not smart enough to get that. And this is what a lot of people who have his type of mindset, they're afraid to try something because if they don't do it well, that means they're a failure and they can never learn it rather than realizing it just means I have to try harder. But it does seem like that perfectionism, he's both genetically got it from his father, but then also maybe learned from him that making mistakes is unacceptable and so bad, and he's afraid to try. So, you know, procrastination, it's very easy to say it's about laziness, but usually you want to look at if there's some kind of depression or more specifically an anxiety underneath that's contributing to it, like he's afraid to make mistakes. He's afraid, and he also has some big shoes to fill. His father being a doctor, he might feel a pressure from him, both the pressure his father put on him by being strict about school, but then also the pressure about meeting his expectations and meeting where his father is. Um, so we have to be aware that that's something that could be affecting him too. So I would want you to really focus about him and how he's doing and his overall well-being and where he's going, but also be patient with him. You know, he's still 19, and yes, you know, it seems like he's not really meeting his potential or doing the work we'd hope or expect him to do. But it's definitely not too late at all for him to still pursue any career he wants. You know, no doors are closed to him. And so I want you to have that patience with him that, oh, yes. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. I love him to death. I mean, uh, 
sometimes, you know, I just feel like as long as he's a, he's a good kid, he's not in drug, he doesn't smoke, he doesn't drink, you know. He's very the compassionate person, yeah. very understanding. I mean, yeah, he's very mature. In certain sure. Things, so good. Yeah. So we want to yeah build on so those I strengths. So want to distract him or no. him by building the look, girlfriend. Yeah, and his girlfriend being there might be a distraction, or it could be a support having her there. It's hard to say. And you know, I, we do. We are about to wrap up the show, so we have to you know wrap up our conversation. You're in a difficult situation. It's definitely not an ideal one for for anyone. But it seems like I would say he seems to be in good hands with you and and even your husband. The way you're describing him, it, it's not going to be easy. But you're trying to make the best out of a not so great situation, um, and just do what you can for him. And I, I wish you the best. I hope you can call back again Thank and we can so talk much. some more. Sure. Thank you so much. Very nice talking Thank to you. you. Take care. Nice talking to you. Bye bye. All right. We reached the end of the show. Thank you to all the callers and the listeners and to Raman here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. Have a wonderful day.